0: Welcome, everybody, to the episode two of the Money Alchemist podcast. Thanks for joining. And we have, uh, I guess we need to announce the co-hosts and everything. (laughs) We're both co-hosts. So we've got uh, Brent Gargano with Infinite Wealth Planning and uh, and myself, Ben Jones, with National Wealth Management Group. Today, we're going to talk about uh, several things. Uh, I think we're going to open up with an article on the Wall Street Journal. Brent uh, brought his uh, old-fashioned newspaper. I guess you're still living in the 1990s, aren't you? <laughs> well, the old fashioned print uh, he has an article that he'd like to share about uh, Blackstone, which is a company not to be confused with BlackRock. It's a company that's, to my knowledge, is always specialized in real estate investment trusts.
1: Well, no, let, let's let's start with the S&P. I, I think. OK, uh, I think that's that's the most relevant thing to most people that would be listening to this. Mm. You know, uh, essentially, we can recap the first half of 2022 as it's been in the stock market with, you know, what we plan to talk about around the S&P, which is a, you know, at least in the wealth management space, seems to be all, all the talk right now is the rise of, of what's been dubbed the Magnificent Seven, mm-hmm. um, which are essentially the seven largest companies in the S&P and, and NASDAQ, which have essentially... You know, driven this massive outperformance here to date in the S and P that's that's left a lot of asset managers behind just because diversification. I mean, more so than than any any year in my history. I mean, we've talked about the outperformance of some of these large companies in the you know in the past, Not for sure. But but this year more so than than others. I think Ben, you had a you had a chart that you, you well, you I'm just pulled? pulling
0: up the uh, the S and P 500. It looks like the peak. Uh, the top on the S and P was uh, January of uh, 2022, according to this, um, and we're you know the, the S and P hit a level somewhere near 4,800, um, and then it's currently just flirting with 4,600. Uh, the, the open this morning was um, uh, 4,450, so you know we are very close uh, to the all-time high reached back in January 2022. Well, let, let me lay out, you know, some numbers
1: here mm-hmm. just just to make sense. And Ben, did you have that uh, that chart?
0: Oh, the one. Uh, here, this one. Yeah. What yeah.
1: What day is that through June? What do you know?
0: Uh, no, it doesn't tell me exactly, but it, it gets the point across. Um, I think it it's through the end of June, so it's beginning of July. So July first, uh, twenty twenty three. Uh, this chart. Shows the S and P 500 without the Magnificent Seven, and the Magnificent Seven are Meta, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Tesla, and Nvidia. Nvidia is everybody's darling right now. It's up uh, some to what 240 percent year to date. Some crazy uh, performance there. But uh, those uh, those seven names are up 58 uh, percent since ch- from January 1st to. Let's just say July first, around that, and they they've gone up even more, I believe, since. Is that if this is, chart. is that if they were on equal weighted? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Um, so that's if you took them equally weighted uh, in on December. Actually, no. I think that's uh, market cap weighted. Okay. But market cap weighted, just like the S and P. Uh, so they just carved out. Basically, they just carved out the rest of the uh, you know four hundred and ninety three names, and then just left the those seven. And then if you took this, the 493 companies without the Magnificent Seven, the S&P is only up 4%, 4% uh, since July. So just, just the, the amazing amount of narrow leadership uh, in the in the Standard & Poor's 500. So, so to,
1: to give you some additional numbers, basically looking at the top seven, Meta, mm-hmm. Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Tesla, and NVIDIA, mm-hmm. As of the middle of June, year to date up almost sixty percent. I am looking at the same numbers from some other indices. So we have the S and P at that time at roughly sixteen percent, mm-hmm. uh, the Nasdaq at thirty two percent. So the Nasdaq has a larger concentration of those seven companies, so it benefited more than the S and P. And then you've got the Dow Jones, which is thirty companies, you know, and only one of which is is Apple. Uh, which is only up five percent by that point. Uh, and furthermore, if you looked at the S and P on an equal weighted basis, so instead of let it, you know, mm-hmm. the large companies making up a larger port, if you made every company in the S and P the same weighting, that basket's only up six percent. So what that's what's really been hard is that as an asset manager, you know, what do we preach to clients is is, is diversification. Yep. And when you have seven companies that make up you know, let's say anywhere from forty to sixty percent of the index. You mm-hmm. have to find ways to diversify outside of those companies by including, you know, mid and small cap companies, international companies, um, and that can, you know, this year that's really been a challenge. Absolutely. So the first half of the year was basically led by this narrow leadership you know, stocks that are loved by the retail investor. Mm-hmm. So, And then the, what, what's going to happen the second half of the year? I mean, how do you think that that sets up for the next six months?
0: I think that these markets short-term are unknowable. Uh, right now, what, what has tended to be the most important factor in the market uh, just in the past, I'd say five years, has been a factor called momentum where, you know, thing thing that is done really well has a tendency to continue doing well because of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. So you have all this money that piles into performance and it just continues to perpetuate that performance. And then eventually there's some catalyst that causes it to pop and then it and then it deteriorates. I don't know if that's the same that's going to happen here because what's driving a lot of these returns, I think, now this is speculation, I think that these seven names are being, it 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 could possibly be this is a safety play, that there's a lot of uncertainty, and that these names are very good companies. I mean, NVIDIA is a fantastic company. Apple's a fantastic company. These are all good companies. These are not like Pets.com. These are some of (laughs) the greatest
1: companies in the world. Yeah.
0: And they have immense amount of cash. And they're profitable. Cash. Their free cash flow is very strong. But their multiples are pushed even beyond where where they should be, historically speaking, um, even for a strong company. It What it resembles, I just read a book um, written by uh, asset manager David Giroux. He's a phenomenal asset manager. And uh, his book is called uh, Capital Allocation. And in that book, he talked about General Electric from the period of 1980 to 2000 under Jack Welsh and how General Electric, in a lot of ways, resembled um, what Apple is like today. It was the darling of the S&P 500, unbelievable returns. And then it achieved a multiple of about 31 times earnings. And then we all know what happened. General Electric has just been a train wreck since. Now, a lot of that is just poor managerial decisions. Some of that was environmental um, is a combination of those two, but um, will that happen? And also, too, during that time, you know, General Electric I think represented what five percent of the S and P five hundred. It was very, it was a, it was a very um, heavy component. Um, now today, it's it got knocked out of the Dow. It was in the it was the only original component of the Dow up until twenty eighteen when it was. Uh, Knocked out. It might have been 2017. I can't remember when General Electric was removed from the Dow.
1: Look, here's the point. Yeah, right. Companies come and go. Mm -hmm. Things change. Yes. You have to build a portfolio to be able to sustain itself Mm -hmm. and and confidently grow over, you know, for some of the clients that we work with, let's say a a couple of decades. Uh, But for other clients, you know, we may be looking at seventy year time frames yeah for some of this money and ge is a great example we live in cincinnati so we uh, there's a lot of pe- folks here in town that that work for ge and it's and it's a great company but if you go back to the year 2000 mm-hmm. ge was the biggest company in the s&p 500 it, it was it, the greatest company it was like apple today yes since then, if you had mm-hmm. invested in GE, I pulled this up, if you had invested in GE in 2000, since then on a total return basis, meaning including dividends and everything else along the way, you have lost 26% on your investment. Yeah. Compare that with the S&P up almost 400% over the same time. Mm. So what I think is fascinating there to me as an investment guy is that GE has gone from you know, there, there's a lot of negative talk about the performance of the S and P right now because of the concentration in these top companies. Over the last 23 years, we've seen GE go from the top company in the S and P to, you know, essentially irrelevant, mm-hmm. and the S and P is up almost 400 yes. percent over the same time period. Yeah. So to me, it is amazing to think about the resilience of the market over time. And we could and we could look at other companies for that. In 1980, IBM was the top company. Kodak was one of the top five companies in the S&P in 1980. GM was on the list. So if you think about, you know, what that really means, what the S&P has the ability to do, and this is maybe a good segue into the, what's going on with the NASDAQ. Yes. Uh, what the S&P has the ability to do is kind of be, kind of self select over time, and 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 without having to manually rebalance by being able to use this formulaic approach to how you weight the companies, you can have a change of leadership, and maybe there's some drag on the index. Maybe somebody's done some more research for me, but gosh, I, I think there will. Been darn good.
0: Um, so if we look at the la in fact, I I would argue that we could see more drag than what we saw post GE bust. In 2000, if you recall, now we, we also had the dot-com bubble intertwined with this, but the S&P 500 did not have as much exposure to dot-com stocks as um, we see the Magnificent 7 have on the S&P 500 today. So if we see a faltering company—now, th- this is hypothetical. <laughs> right now, these companies are making money hands over fists, and there's no reason to just assume— uh, that they're going to fall into a GE-like destructive tailspin, um, but if they did, I think we could see a repeat of what we saw from 2000-2003, where the S and P had three years of negative performance. It, 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 you know, talk about discouraging. You know, twenty twenty two was such a discouraging year for a lot of investors, where you had to sit there and watch your money uh, just decline month by month. It was. Uh, portfolio death by a thousand cuts. At least that's what it seemed to me. Imagine that happening over thirty-six months. And if we see some of these big names uh, just make poor management decisions, you know, poor capital allocation decisions, that c- that could affect earnings. That might cause um, a deterioration yeah, but, in the S and P and a descent in the mud. Here's the here's mm-hmm. the part where that gets mm-hmm. tricky.
1: Sure where is the growth
0: coming from looking forward well right now the market's saying artificial intelligence well let me make it broader than that mm-hmm. it's it's technology
1: technology's driven the growth for the last you know 15 years since the gfc we mm-hmm. haven't had real robust fundamental economic growth we've had floundering you know low interest rates low inflation so the ability for technology to make the world more efficient mm-hmm. and more profitable has been what's been the driving force behind you know I believe behind a lot of the, the equity performance so when you look at what that looks like today and I would agree that you know AI is is the the hot term for that you know your biggest beneficiaries of that are going to be who Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, Apple. I mean, you know, Apple won't talk about AI, but we, we know that it's got to be relevant. I mean, it has to,
0: they have to be having conversations about it. So my, my only point is... Apple needs an AI for their, uh, for their iTunes store because I can't hardly find any music. <laughs> That's worth listening to. I,
1: I think there are so many, like, creature comforts that will come with AI. Just, I mean, for me, let's talk about, you know, sourcing economic data, yeah. You know, right now you need to know exactly what the statistic is called when you go to source it. I mean, something as simple as I can type what I'm looking for, yeah. and it knows how to say, "Okay, here's what he's looking for. Here's the data points that go with that, and connect those two mm-hmm. things." Yeah. Um, you know that that to me is is, is yeah, meaningful. I, I, so least, my, my my only point being that we have these large companies, and you could say, "Hey, you know, eventually they can become irrelevant." You know. Companies have over time been big, big companies, very relevant and becoming relevant, but it just doesn't seem like that time is yet, given the momentum and where the momentum's shifting and who these companies are and where they fit in that.
0: I agree. I, I am not arguing that these companies are irrelevant. My point, and I think yours is too, is that this this the leadership in the S and P five hundred is so narrow that it's somewhat cause for concern because it seems less diversified. And the sermon that we've been preaching for how many years, since our beginning of our career, is diversification. But, you know, the part, I said this to someone the other day, you know, having a diversified portfolio also means that you're always going to hate a portion of your portfolio. And most of our portfolios year-to-date have trailed the S&P 500 because they have exposure to emerging markets, because they have exposure to value, because they have exposure to small and mid-cap. But they're not trailing by that much. Um, So, you know, they're definitely participating in this rally, uh, but it's not um, as, as, as robust because it's not as concentrated. When you have a concentrated allocation, And I would argue that, and we'll get into the NASDAQ next, I think. I think this is a good uh, segue to that conversation. When you have that concentration, it can work two ways. Either it can be very beneficial for you, because if those companies in which you are concentrating do very well, you're going to obviously have an outsized uh, return because of that. So, you know, let's say you have half your portfolio as NVIDIA year-to-date. You're going to laugh at the S and P 500 performance, but you know what's you
1: know what's funny? Yeah. All of these active management, actively managed funds, these yeah. mutual funds,
0: mm-hmm. they can't
1: match the index. They can't even do it because of their diversification rules.
0: Well, yeah, that's true, uh, and that's partially why I think that um, you know the index has been such a tough horse to catch. Really, it also comes down to I think human emotion. You know, even these active managers. As uh, smart as they are, they're still human beings, and, they, and and emotion is the enemy of investing, as we often say. So there's that component. There's also costs. There's the fee drag. Um, but but I think there's this increasing concentration. Uh, that's that's a, I think a, a symptom of uh, this momentum factor. So well uh,
1: momentum aside, i think to me i think what's happening here i mean mm-hmm. this is this is just my opinion but we've gone through the closest thing that we've gotten to a government default mm-hmm. we've seen in the last few years the corporate bond market you know fall fall apart liquidity fell out of the corporate bond market um I, frankly, I think there's a skepticism for for bonds and for some other assets out there, and and these companies, as you mentioned, they're some of the greatest companies in the world. Yeah. They high free cash flow and what have you, and so I think people uh, see these as defensive plays. Yeah, and I, I think that I, I, to me, it's it's more of a catch up play for the other 493 company, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the bottom of the S and P is, as opposed to Apple falling apart. I mean, I I, I don't. I don't know how to get my head around the world where Apple or, you know, any one of those seven companies falls apart here. But I do think, you know, we're kind of TBD on how we're going to get the the convergence of that. You know, that that could be a couple of things. Either those companies do poorly, the other companies catch up, a combination of the two. I think historically speaking, when you get to these levels of concentration, what what happens is you just get an underperformance being less Quick, you know, growth at a slower pace over the next one year, as as opposed to the companies that didn't benefit. So, you know, hopefully that's a good thing for diversified asset managers in the in the future.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Um, I mean, your your logic is sound. <laughs> now, well, what, what do you think about this too? Because I've also thought about this. There seems to be a growing sense of, I, I'd call it desperation, amongst the average investor everybody feels like inflation is nipping at their neck and it and it is to an extent. so there's a desperation to try to squeeze as much money as you can and, and to goose performance. So you know maybe people are just plowing money into these names hoping that they have um, you know a repeat of their historical outsized performance you know who wouldn't want to invest in apple in 1999? Who wouldn't want to invest in N- Nvidia around the same time? I mean, the, the returns that these companies have generated, like Amazon, just absolutely mind-boggling.
1: And it's hard to envision a world where these companies don't continue to play.
0: They're going to play a, a pivotal role. role, but but for Amazon to grow by ten thousand percent is a but, little uh, you know, little unrealistic. A, so I think that um, well, the
1: idea is you can grow. You know, when you're starting mm-hmm. off at a mm-hmm. let's just use some. Small, big numbers. If you're a $50 billion company, yeah. growing to a $1 trillion company is, what? what's that, 20X? Yes. Versus growing from a $1 trillion company to a $3 trillion company, which Apple's roughly $3 trillion market cap, largest company in the yeah. world, that's only a 3X. So you can't,
0: It, it just mathematically, it's hard to get I, 100X. I agree, but does the average person chasing the dragon agree with that? Do they see that logic? So how much do you think... Is that people track kind of- share
1: price, not market cap, and that's that's mm-hmm. what's hard. You know, I think as an as an advisor, yeah. and for anybody listening, for for the folks that do listen, that might be, uh, you know, uh, clients. You know, what one thing that can be hard to get across is that the price of a share of the stock does not necessarily represent the size of the company. Yes, bingo. You know, people tend to have this isu- assumption that if it used to be amazon stock before the split was a couple thousand dollars a share and that, mm-hmm. that that had done better than something that, you know your share price is only a representation of the total market cap divided by the number of outstanding shares you can Well sl- the share price is somewhat arbitrary. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like you know it's it's like having a pizza and cutting it into more pieces what you really need to know is do you have a small medium or large piece pizza, pizza mm-hmm. you know not necessarily how many pieces are there. Yeah. So you know when we think about it as as professional investors, you have to look at, you know, if a company goes from a ten billion dollar market cap to a fifty billion dollar market, that's a five x. But to five x from Apple, you have to go from three trillion to fifteen trillion, and you have to sell a lot of iPhones. Yes, to get to a well, fifteen trillion dollars. Well, now it's the goggles. You got to
0: sell the. You have to do a lot of stuff. What What do you think of, about App, Apple's uh, new 3D goggles uh, they're, they're coming I out don't
1: with? know what it's going to look like years out, but I think that the, the idea that we're going to be pulling phones out of our pockets for the next 30 years doesn't make sense to me. I think we're going to integrate these things into our lives in a way that looks different. Maybe that's glasses. Maybe that's something else. But to me... You know, I, I think the ability—have you ever seen the movie Minority Report?
0: Oh, yeah. Who hasn't? Yeah. yeah. So,
1: I mean, you, you know, I, I do think that—you know, I don't know if I'm going to wear these big bulky things on my face for the right—but, you know, technology changes. I think it's a step in the, in, in, in the right direction, I suppose. I like that you can see—I guess my understanding—I haven't done a lot of research on this, but the Facebook ones, they're they're not see-through. So, it gives you headaches because you can only see two inches in front of you. The Apple one, you can see through the lens. And I guess that reduces the headaches and it puts the the images that you see are kind of out in space, which to me is a move in the right
0: direction, at least. Well, didn't Microsoft try that? It was called, uh, what'd they call it? I forget. It doesn't matter. Uh, But it wasn't full immersion. It was.
1: Your your point being getting from 3 trillion to mm -hmm. 15 trillion doesn't require, like, selling more iphones in china right it's it's really more of a function of being able to open you know new markets you know i think i saw a stat don't quote me on this but like airpods now have a larger you know revenue base than like entire companies Mm -hmm. you know and and so they need to find ways to open new revenue channels uh rather than you know to, to really get there and um you know, maybe we'll see a $15 trillion company one day. I don't, I I don't love, know how soon that'll be.
0: <laughs> I would love to have AirPods, but I don't trust myself with them. I will lose those. And no, then you can find them. them. You got
1: an app to find them and they're all, yeah. you know, they play noises and they do all sorts of <laughs> things that, you know, got to get with the technology.
0: Well, anyway. I still use the the wired. I'm, I'm old school. So let's move on. Um, so diversification is not dead, I think, is our what we're, we're, we're trying to suggest here. And, Apparently, Nasdaq believes the same thing. So let's talk about what Nasdaq is doing this coming Monday. Uh, by the time this podcast release, it'll it'll already be passed. But as July twenty fourth, something important's happened at the index. Well, the the
1: Nasdaq, you know, I, I, maybe you can shed some more light on the background of the Nasdaq. But it's mm-hmm. a very, you know, tech heavy index, more so than the other indices that are popular,
0: the Dow and the S and P. Well, the Nasdaq was formed. Um, the way I understand it, as a, as an alternative to, uh, to to the to the New York Stock Exchange, which at the time the New York Stock Exchange still operated in an old fashioned way, where you had um, uh, the trade floor and there were a bunch of people screaming at each other trying to you know bid up or bid down stocks, and you know some really smart computer programmer decided what well, this all can be done electronically. So the NASDAQ was formed as the world's first electronic um, uh, trading floor. So, you know, they, in order for a trading floor to operate, they need to attract names, <laughs> publicly traded companies to actually trade on it. So the companies that were most interested in trading on the NASDAQ were the high-tech companies like Microsoft. So it just grew to become a tech-like index. or te- Well, that was before the index was created. It grew to be a a, a company that specialized in uh, technology companies uh, or tra- trading the stocks for uh, technology companies. Now, the NASDAQ, the index as we know it, now there's the NASDAQ, the trading um, exchange, and then there's the NASDAQ index. The NASDAQ index is simply the 100 largest uh, stocks that trade on the NASDAQ. So right now, you know, it resembles the S and P 500. Uh, we had an article pulled up with the largest uh, NASDAQ names. Let's see if I can uh, pull it up here, but it's, it's, they're the names, you know, like Microsoft, NVIDIA uh, companies like that. So let, let me pull it up here. Oh, That's not it. Uh, but what what's happened in the NASDAQ is the same thing that has happened in the S and P 500 where the top, I believe, Four or five names represented 43% of the index. It was incredibly top-heavy.
1: Yeah. So popular uh, ETF QQQ, Mm -hmm. which is the Invesco NASDAQ 100 ETF, Mm -hmm. uh, looking at the weighting right now, it's it's almost 13% Microsoft, 12% Apple, 7.5% NVIDIA. And almost seven percent Amazon. So just just four companies right there. You're talking yes. about almost forty percent, correct? And then you can go down the list. There's Alphabet, then Meta, and, and and I think that it that the the you know the combined value of the top seven companies is now almost over fifty five percent. And this this special rebalance, which is getting a lot of. You know, uh, noise and attention on social media. Historically speaking, the the relevance of this rebalance to company performance is actually not as dramatic as you might think. So I, I think this is actually, you know, maybe a a, a a talking point that really reflects how com you know how big these companies have gotten. But I don't you know I think thinking that you could invest based on this happening on Monday is a little you know kind of half baked. So. Um, Point being, the NASDAQ does this special rebalance. They have a formula. They've only done it four times, I believe, in the past. Yeah. Uh, So this is actually three times. So this is the fourth time they've ever had to do this special rebalance. It's triggered when the index becomes too concentrated, and essentially it's going to knock these companies down by roughly 11% of the whole NASDAQ, which means— I mean, I looked at the market cap of, of the whole Nasdaq. It's like twenty two trillion dollars. So we're yes. talking about, you know, two point three, 2400000000000 dollars. I got to do from, the math on
0: this. So that's uh,
1: well, it's not it's not exact. I mean, I could find you the exact number, but the point is, it's it's a chunk of money. I mean, we're talking close to two and a half trillion dollars that's going to be flowing just based on index index move eleven percent.
0: So, that can't be right.
1: And if you don't t- think that 2. there's high 4 frequency... $2.4 trillion?
0: Dollars. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's $2.4 so it, trillion. Dollars. How, how does that is not... the size
1: of almost I have Apple... Well, because, look, if you think that you can trade on that information in 2023, right, ahead of, like, a high-frequency trader, I mean, there's just no way that that, that press release wasn't, you know, Baked released. The and then fine. immediately, there's <laughs> a bunch of high-frequency data that's moving to, to, to place trades on an institutional level. So I, I think the idea that you're going to materially beat the market by, like, you know, buying Costco and selling Apple, you know, is 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 probably well. A little... What's
0: amazing to me, though, Brent, is that if that has already happened, so if these algos have already taken advantage of that information, these names have not meaningfully de- deteriorated over the past couple of weeks. In fact, they've rallied. So we're talking two two point four trillion dollars of liquidations of companies like Microsoft, Apple, Nvidia, Amazon, Meta, you know, Starbucks, you know, Tesla, Alphabet are in there too. So we're talking a massive amount of liquidation. Now that do, that doesn't disappear from the index. That gets spread into the other other names. So the index itself should theoretically remain stable. So you shouldn't see the the the, the QQQ fund you know plummet in value because you're just simply transferring value from these top heavy names to the lower names. But if you are, let's say, you are just owning those Magnificent Seven, theoretically, you should have seen those selling off, but they haven't. So (laughs) it just goes to show the amount of uh, stability these names have shown. It's been a little bit uncanny, almost suspicious, the the uh,
1: outperformance from Costco is almost two percent mm-hmm. as of the first day that this was released over Apple, and since then has maybe widened to four percent. So okay. when you look at it, you're talking about maybe a couple percentage points in in a week and a half. Well, that, I mean, that's well,
0: anecdotal. I mean, what about can we can we average that
1: from? From the, the things that I've read, history would show yeah. that when you look at the, the difference in performance of these concentrated names that mm. are getting impacted by this special rebalance to the rest of them, you're talking about a few percentage points between the announcement and then the actual rebalance. It's not a—I yeah. it, mean, it sounds like a lot of money, yes, and, and I, I'm not saying that it doesn't make, make some level of impact, but, you know, when you spread this stuff out, over the names of the constituents. You know, you're, you're talking about taking a large amount of money, but think about the size of the companies you're pulling these from, right? Apple is $3 trillion, and it only represents a portion of that 2. Well, it'll 4.
0: be interesting to see what happens on Monday because I'm going to pay close attention. Normally, I don't watch day-to-day stock movements that much, but Monday I'm going to tune in because it could be interesting. But I, I, I I'm going to wager that it will be boring. And we're not going to see a whole lot of movement one way or the other, because I believe you're right that that, that information be. has already been digested and acted upon by uh, these algorithmic trading mechanisms that we see. Now, here's, an, here's an, uh, another question for you. Um, do you think now that NASDAQ has embraced the idea of divers- diversification and the S&P 500 has not, which one do you think will benefit the most moving forward. Do you think that this is good for the NASDAQ in the near term, or do you think it's not good? I don't dislike it. It mm. seems
1: like there's a formulaic way that they're calculating it. So you had asked me earlier about, you know, does the, does this introduce active management into the NASDAQ? I, I don't think so, because it seems like they have a, a predetermined way that they do this. Um, so does it give the NASDAQ more legs because— you know, it, it, it's, it's accounting for this kind of mm. catch-up that we're talking about. I, I don't know. To me, the the driving force of the NASDAQ's outperformance, in my opinion, is that—so I believe that we're in the midst, and it's a long, long period of time, of, of a technological revolution, right? So, so I think technology is changing in such a way that um, you're going to continue to see— Innovation over time pay off, and to me, whether one's going to outperform the other is probably less to do with this rebalancing methodology and more to do with what you talked about as the spirit of how the indices were started, mm-hmm. and which one's going to lead to you know companies with with innovation. Um, so those are always technology companies. You know, Amazon, for example, is a consumer discretionary company. So is Tesla. You know, so it can happen in multiple sectors, but I would be willing to bet that the, you know, to me, the sector weighting of the NASDAQ is more um, conducive to growth. Now, if we go back to, you know, going back to the very beginning of this, tech does well when the the real economy doesn't grow as fast and we rely on innovation to to drive growth, you know, I guess in the chance that we really get back to a robust economy, you could see banks and industrials and all these things catch up. We we certainly saw the you know, kind of the, the we had a, a chance last year to see some of that almost play out, but it quickly fizzled out and I just mm-hmm. don't know. Dead. I don't know if it's coming back. I think the bond market, back to your original point, telling you that you know the ten year is at four percent, the two year is, is at five. Um you know, bond yields are telling you that they don't really believe the world can grow in a material way over time.
0: Well, yeah, and we talked about yeah. that briefly before we started this uh, this episode. But, you know, what, one thing that is very interesting to me that I can't recall has ever been the case uh, over the 15 years um, that I've been, you know, student of the markets, and that is that the bond market and the stock market are almost in complete disagreement. Uh, now, true, bond yields have been rising, but I think that they've been rising simply because central banks are not engaging in aggressive quantitative easing. Um, so, you know, I still think that uh, there is a massive amount of appetite for for uh, long-duration fixed income. You know, may, maybe it's just pension funds or... Uh, you know, just desperate for that long-term yield to shore up their their, their funding. Um, whatever the case, uh, there is a huge appetite for uh, longer-duration bonds. Um, Longer-term bonds, like 10,
1: 10 and 20 and 30-year bonds yes. versus and, and, and 1 and 2 and so 5. So right now,
0: yeah. like, fixed-income managers have two choices. You know, you can buy a, a 12-month treasury. Well, you got, obviously, a lot more choices than this, but— you, you let's say you're just buying treasuries. You can buy a treasury with a yield of four, you know, five point four percent, or you can buy a ten year at three point eight. Which sounds well, better? Well, so let me because
1: I think we're kind of transitioning topics right now. So let, let mm. let's let's summarize first. So basically, back to the index. I mean, what yeah. is what that means for clients? Mm-hmm. In our view, is that you have to you have to be able to stay diversified. It is important. You know, the examples of IBM and GE. Are, are to say that over long Encho, periods yeah. of time leadership yeah. change happens. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of reasons why that happens, but you have to be able to position your portfolio in a way to adapt to that change, which these indices do, you know, kind of on their own through methodologies. So, you know, you can you could talk about index indexing versus active management, what have you, but over time things are going to change. Having a way to allow the portfolio to adapt And adjust as that happens is a good thing. And for our clients, we want to make sure that we're speaking to why you want to stay invested over time and why you want to stay invested, you know, outside of just simply three to five companies over time.
0: You're you're staying diversified to avoid the bust. Yeah. You know, that that really is the the point of diversification, I don't think, is to enhance returns. In fact, I, I, I would argue that diversification actually hurts returns. If your objective is to speculatively, uh, but it may help
1: ru- risk adjusted returns.
0: Yes. Uh, but the key there is risk adjusted, but most people don't really pay attention to the, the risk adjusted portion part of that equation. They care about returns and, uh, they, you know, they, everybody wants to be the person that invests at, you know, one penny and then cashes in at a hundred thousand a share. Um, so you know, a lot of times risk gets thrown out the window. How oftentimes do I and, I? and I apologize if I'm transitioning securities too much here, but how many times I I hear people say, "Man, I wish I invested in Bitcoin when it was a penny." It's like Bitcoin when it was a penny was was trivial. It was almost a joke. So for someone to pile their entire life savings into something like that at that stage in the game would have been incredibly foolish. You know, but, of course, now you would look like a, an investment genius. But I would say that that would, that would have been a very foolish decision. Um, so so that, that's the case with, with things uh, is that when you should invest in something to get those outsized returns, that's when it makes the least amount of sense to invest. In. Like Take Bill Gates, for example. I wonder how many people – Turned down Bill Gates as a founding investor in Microsoft. I would say it was probably a significant amount of people, and boy, I bet they felt silly later, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I think Bill Gates has even, you know, come out and and, and mentioned a few names uh, of folks who you know turned down his offer to invest in the company. But uh, you know, at the time, those investors were probably making sound decisions. Like, who is this guy? I don't know him i don't know what computers are you know computers are silly they're not going to change the world you know because that wasn't known that was not an obvious conclusion back in the you know the late 70s early 80s uh and then they turned they turned them down and of course we all know what happened um so a lot of times to make outsized returns uh in portfolios you need to take on huge amounts of idiosyncratic risk or huge amounts of concentration risk. And uh, that probably fails. I don't have any general statistics to support this, but I would say that probably fails just as often, if not more often, than it succeeds. So financial advisors and planners like you and I, we're not going to bet our clients' fortunes on some speculative uh, investment uh, so therefore we embrace diversification
1: look i I see this as a simple in mm-hmm. a simple sense there there's a spectrum mm-hmm. okay and that spectrum on one hand has what I call getting rich okay this is you know, Significant money, you can get there very quickly. You know, this is what you see on Instagram mm-hmm. when you flip through, and you see this, you know, business opportunity. I can start making twenty thousand dollars a month or whatever it is. on the On the other side of the spectrum, you have building wealth. Okay, yeah. so you have getting rich, and you have building wealth. And and there's two, there's there's very different attributes that lead to one or the other. I, we've I've talked to a lot of people who have gotten rich. Okay. And what you need for getting rich is you need concentration, you need, you know, the ability, like, comfort with risk, and you need a little bit of luck and some skill. If those things all come together, you can make a massive amount of money. The business owners that we work with, you know, if they focus on their business and they pour their energy into that, it's, you know, maybe 80 to 100% of their wealth for a long period of time. But, you know, they can, we've seen them cash them out for, tens of millions of dollars on the other side of that you have building wealth which is maybe lower severity right you don't have as big of yeah, outcomes correct but you have a lot more predictability so yeah. if, if i tell you to save if live within your means save regularly yeah. stay invested right those types of things with a, they, they 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 will make you wealthy they may not make you you know Hundred billion dollars wealthy, but they will make you wealthy. And we can, I can look at you with a high degree of certainty, and I can, and 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 I can, I I can tell you that that is a you know we with a high degree of certainty we can get you to an outcome where you have wealth. Mm-hmm. And so I just look at those two things differently. And for every client, they exist maybe somewhere. Different on that spectrum. Some people are more comfortable with the concentration and the risk that it takes to get rich. Some people are, you know, I'd rather be, you know, lower income, more consistency, more job security, and and still have wealth. And then there's all people in between. So as advisors, that's one of the things that we have to do with clients is try to understand, you know, for you, where do you fit within that spectrum? And what does that mean for how we manage the investments and how those complement the other things going on in your life? And I don't know about you, but I think that's a, I think that's a really good spot to kind yeah, of uh, wrap up. Yeah, I think
0: you hit the nail on the head. I couldn't agree more. That is a great way to sum it up. There's, You get rich through concentration, and that's evident. And the business owners. I mean, we're business owners too. I mean, most of our net worth is tied up in our business operations. And then there's building wealth. Spot on. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FENRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through National Wealth Management Group, a registered investment advisor, and separate entity from LPL Financial, LLC. Opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk including the potential loss of principal. There is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio will enhance overall returns or outperform a non-diversified portfolio. Diversification does not protect against market risk.